I'm John DiLiberto, and you're hearing the Echoes podcast from BRX. I've got two features for you today, both coming from the ambient side of Americana and country. Balmeray was one of the early bands who I called Ambient Americana Chamber Music. Hailing originally out of Austin, Texas, they had that wide-open plain sound, but set in a classical mood. They've been favorites on the show since we discovered their de facto debut album, River's Arms, in 2008, released on the Western Vinyl label. We've seen their evolution from a sort of folksy ambient Americana to a more refined ambient chamber music, and the classical was already becoming more dominant by the time they signed to the German classical label, Deutsche Grammophon. They released The Wind on the label in 2021 and have returned with their latest, Pendant World. I'll have them ahead. I've also got Sus. The last time I talked with this band, they were four members. That was in early 2021, shortly after the band's electronic maestro Gary Lieb unplugged for the final time. But the band kept on, and I caught up with them at the Big Ears Festival 2023 to hear them talk about a rebirth and new directions. You mentioned a new beginning. I wanted to push what we could do. You know, I want to go to places I'm not so sure I know about. I want to experiment. I want that feeling of taking risks and trying new things. I live for that. Sus. I'll be talking to them about loss and drones and carrying on. Their latest album is eponymously titled, and there's a reason for that. That's all ahead. Before we get to that, though, I want to tell you about Echoes and the Echoes Fun Drive to keep the chill out in the summer. You know, I don't get interviews with artists like Balmoray, Tori Amos, BT, or John McLaughlin because they like me. We get them because Echoes has reach into the audience they want to hear their music, and that's you. But maintaining that kind of presence, building audience, and producing programs, interviews, and podcasts that musicians actually want to be on costs a lot of money. And more and more, we depend on you for that. We don't have a radio station or organization backing us up. Government grant support was always minimal and becoming more so. Radio stations don't pay nearly what it costs to produce the show. And the podcasts, we do those for you completely free. We do it for the music and the musicians, and we do it for you, and we need your help to raise $20,000. In the heat of the summer, Echoes may be the best chilled thing out there. Support us now with a donation to help us beat the heat. Go to echoes.org and hit the support tab to donate. That's echoes, E-C-H-O-E-S dot org, O-R-G. Do it now as we head into this interview with Sus. The ambient country and ambient Americana sound has been going on for a while, and one of the emerging exponents has been the group Sus. They were evolving along for over three years when one of their four members, electronic artist Gary Lieb, died in 2021. He was responsible electronically and emotionally for a lot of what Sus was about. Their latest album, self-titled, is how they've dealt with this passing.
I'm talking to the three surviving members of Sus in their hotel room at the Big Ears Festival 2023, where they played two sets to a packed and more audience. Sus is guitarist Bob Holmes, pedal steel guitarist Jonathan Gregg, and synthesist Pat Irwin, although they all cross over to other instruments. Upon the death of Gary Lieb, they released a series of EPs, and those were combined into their self-titled double album. So you've got a new album out, a double recording, but it's just called Sus, self-titled. Yeah. Which is something bands usually do in their first album. And I'm wondering if you did that because this is kind of a new beginning for you. That's exactly what it was. It was the... Because Gary is on the album, the double album is definitely kind of a summing up of everything we did up to that point and then moving on from there and we just thought it was a great rebirth is a good thing. passing of Gary Lieb still weighs heavily on the band more than two years later. He was multi-talented, working in cartoons, many of which appeared in The New Yorker, animated films, and the graphic novel Idiot Land. But for Sus, he was their ambient sound and emotional core. Bob Holmes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, <laughs> having a loved one and a band member pass away does a lot for all of us, you know, personally and musically. So we had to regroup and really try to figure out, one, if we were going to continue, and if we did, how were we going to continue, and what would make us happy, and that took a bit of work. And I think that one of the things that I'm most proud about, about the double album, is that over the course of those four sides, you really see the progression of where we were in 2019, the end of 2019, and where we are now and, and what it took to get through that period of time. The album began as a series of EPs, the first of which, Night Suite, was recorded before Gary Lee died. And for one reason or another, we had all individually added the word night to the title of whatever that track was going to be. And we said, well, this is not going to work. I mean, how many night songs can you guys really do? But they definitely had a common mood. And that mood... It was a little on the dark side, and you know, the more that we started listening to them together and we got the sequencing right, it really felt like a nighttime road trip. Sort of a dark side of the soul road trip. We then attached city names to each of the titles, going from east to west, starting in Gallup, New Mexico, and ending up in um, Needles, California and sort of simulated what a nighttime drive that would take nine hours to do. And we did that over 22 minutes. (laughs) 
we finished the record and mixed it, Pat had mixed it literally weeks, if not days, before Gary passed away. So we had no idea where the real trip was <laughs> was taking us, and that's that's when things got a little hairy. So. Wow. It's still hard talking about, isn't it? Unless well, I've, I've known Gary for 45 years, so, you know, we went to school together, close, thick as thieves, our families, everything, so. Without getting too mystical here, I think we could all say that Gary is with us all the time, just because he just had that sort of thing. So it's hard to do anything and not for us to imagine what would Gary think about this? How, how would Gary proceed at this juncture? The answer to that question were the EPs, Heat Haze, and Winter Was Hard. Those, along with Night Suite, comprise the first three sides of the album, while the fourth is all new music. You can see, oh, first side of the record's all Gary. Second side of the record, half Gary. Third side of the record, maybe a quarter Gary. And then the fourth side, no Gary. And uh, Pat came up with the title. He wrote the title track, Across the Horizon, and that just sort of it. It's hard for me to talk about this stuff because it's really emotional, but I'm lucky that way. In the beginning, Sus characterized their sound as Ennio and Eno, as in film composer Ennio Morricone, best known for his spaghetti western scores, and Emmy pioneer Brian Eno. Yeah, we'd be the first to admit that that was a little glib. But, you know, for the uninitiated, in the beginning, it was a great way to get people to at least start thinking about it. And I guess in the early days, we delivered on that, but we had to grow. We had to go into more directions and uh, go deeper into what that really meant. Well, I feel like you've gone deeper into a textural thing, Pat. Yeah, it's a place I wanted to go. You know, composers that I really love, like John Luther Adams, you mentioned a new beginning. I wanted to push what we could do, mm -hmm. go to new places. That's, and what are those places to you? You know, I want to go to places I'm not so sure I know about. I want to experiment. I want that feeling of taking risks and trying new things. I live for that.
Ennio Morricone spaghetti western twang has diminished, the Brian Eno ambient side is very much there, but they've gone even more sub-ambient. As compared to drone music, it's obviously got a lot more melody and a lot more um, structure than, than a lot of drone music does. But yes, one of the things that, that we really worked on, on over the course of this last album and looking ahead to what our future music is, is like, how much can we say with how little? And how much can we express melody and emotion, obviously without lyrics, but also without specifically penned down melody lines? It's not a first listen thing. It's more of a deep listen thing. And I think that that's what we are aiming towards on this record and definitely where we're heading in the future. diffuse and and mysterious sounds that we've been trying to make all along, I would say that we're, you know, not as droney in a way as, or even over the course of the record, I think side one is probably slightly more droney and then it evolves into something a little different with slightly more firmly articulated melodies and just framing those in a way that doesn't seem overbearing or lockstep and keeping the hooks, keeping the stuff that made the songs interesting or notable in the first place without really just trying to have a carbon copy of it every time. As spacey as the music gets, Sus won't characterize it as a drone zone, which is rhythm and percussion free. Sus doesn't have a drummer, but they do have time signatures. They're just hidden. There's no drums. I mean, basically, where there's no click track, there's no, generally, there's no very distinctly repetitive, a rhythmic thing. And that gives us a lot of freedom, but it also is the part that, you know, is a little bit more uncertain where you just sort of have to collectively decide when this moment has passed, but it's not, you know, just a lockstep kind of thing. Bob Holmes does insist that those early signposts of twang are still there in the music, but like the rhythms, they're kind of hidden as well. Before we sort of, sort of use them as like um, footnotes, like, oh yeah, there's the baritone guitar, I get it. It sounds like uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly or something like that. But all of those sounds are still there, but we've just found new places to put them that aren't as nearly as overt as they were on the first couple albums.
notes thus have evolved into a more restrained sound. It doesn't have the bass drops or crescendos that other music might have. They're doing something else which they weren't even aware of until they talked to ambient country pedal steel guitarist Luke Schneider at Big Ears Festival 2023. I was having a conversation with Luke Schneider last night. It's that how do you balance the sense of drone versus the sense of bliss? It was something that I'd never thought about in our music before, and he was much more eloquent about it than I can be, but he said, you guys intimate the bliss, but you always hold back just a little bit. You never go for like the over-the-top blissful moment, and he says, I don't know how you do that. Because when you're in the moment, sometimes you just decide to like go for the big one, and you guys... You know, you just very stately, you just intimate that that's where the big one is, but we're going to just pull back a little bit. And I thought, okay, maybe. It's tantric sex. Sus's music probably does provide the backdrop for some sensual moments. They are promising a new, major work which employs some of Gary Lieb's last contributions to the band. In the meantime, their latest album is the eponymously titled Sus on Northern Spy Records. I will have a link to the self-titled album by Sus and the posting for this podcast at echoes.org. I'll also have a playlist for all the music you heard in the feature. It's all at echoes.org. And now a band that is in the same ambient zone of Sus, but taking their cues from classical music, Balmoray. Since we last talked to the band, Balmoray, they've been through a lot of changes. Founding members Rob Lowe and Michael Muller are still at the core of the band, and their music still mixes folk, chamber, and indie rock sounds. But Lowe has had a child, Muller has moved from Austin to Los Angeles, and perhaps most dramatically, the band has been signed to the venerable classical music label Deutsche Grammophon. Their 2021 album, The Wind, was the first recording for the label, and they followed up with Pendant World in 2023. Balmoray's The Wind album was their most neoclassical sounding release to date, but though you might think that was because they were signed to Deutsche Grammophon, known for fine classical works and Karlheinz Stockhausen, that's not the case. Rob Lowe. That one was already pretty much completed in, in the box when we met them. You know, yeah, I guess this album, Pendant World, is in some way it was going to always come out on Deutsche Grammophon, so I think we understood that that was the case. I don't know how it really affected our creative process. Yeah, I mean, surely in some small way, but I don't know if it did. Mm-hmm. 
label is best known for releasing the great orchestral works of Beethoven, Mozart, and others of the classical canon, they've been moving toward a more contemporary sound for a few years. They've released compositions or recordings by Peter Gregson, the late Johann Johansson, Anna Sobel, Dustin O'Halloran, and Max Richter. You might think that a label that is that old and has so much ethos behind it, I think you would think that they might really want a certain thing from their artists and and we've had the opposite experience so they've just been super supportive of our ideas and where we wanted to go with this music and like mike said very progressive for being such an institution and like we've i don't know it's been so great with them even though it was recorded before signing with dg compositions on the wind leaned a little more into the classical direction with the gentle melodies that almost seemed to evaporate in the air they were so spare On the wind, the compositions did lean more toward kind of a neoclassical with some Baroque influences, and there's a lot more space and a lot more breathing in the music. And I think with the pendant world, compositions we were intentional to keep our kind of core sound that kind of heartbeat in the center and then try to expand a little bit especially with the human voice with rhythms and with samples and some woodwinds and some kind of avant leaning saxophone stuff here and there um, and we also tried to keep it a little more succinct intentionally just to kind of be a little more kind of direct in a way draws a bit more on Balmeray's early roots with a familiar mix of folk and chamber music instruments flavored with percussion and ambient sounds. The wind was very spare and airy, Pendant World has a bigger sound, sometimes dramatically so. They don't see it as a throwback or a new direction. It's just part of a natural cycle. Yeah, those early albums were really just like so, so quickly, like just let's write the song and just to record it, mix it, you know, it just was very much like straight from the heart to the headphones. As we've gotten older and changed and grown, you know, we're just more considerate. I always think about like, it's this, just this pendulum Maybe it's not even right to think of it as like being a polar thing, you know, but I always feel like once we do something, I generally feel like, okay, that's cool. I'm proud of that, like that, but now what can we do from there? I'm ready to swing out into a different direction. I'm interested in that motion. And sometimes over the course of 15 years, you start seeing connections being made across time. And like, oh, these two albums, well, 10 years apart, 
are kind of on a similar track or something. But yeah, maximalist and minimalist, we've been both of those things probably at various points in our career, I think. is some jazz-oriented instrumentation on a few tracks. Pieces like New Conditions call up the sound of ECM Jazz Chamber Works by Keith Jarrett and Eberhard Weber. The improvised parts by guest musicians added a different energy. Michael Mueller. We worked with two saxophonists, Sam Gundel and Joseph Shabison, and as well a bass clarinetist named Jonathan Seeloff on this recording, who also played on the wind. And I think with all of them, we sort of had composed the piece with these kind of spaces carved out for their specific voice. Having just like a rough direction of the tonality and kind of the timbre, and then kind of letting them just go for it so that each of them just kind of sent a folder full of some takes and we comped together um, sort of an arrangement assembled from their raw ideas. music is generally composed through and we don't improvise a lot we improvise a fair amount as we're composing as we're writing and sometimes in the studio there'll be a little bit of that but neither of us are trained in that type of music and so i think something that was important for us on this album is that we wanted to like open our world up a little bit to that type of expression something that neither michael and i are good at and so we made these compositions hoping that we could bring their voices into them and that they could respond to them in their own unique way. You know, sometimes it was like, here's a melody. Can you kind of play this melody in your own way? Or here's the melody. Can you please play around this melody and support it in some way? So, you know, it was directed, but really like trusting them to make their own judgments and respond to what we had created. And I think it's really great. It was super exciting to hear. Uh, to hear their, all of those con- contributions. Even with these new elements, however, Pendant World sounds very much like a Balmeray recording. Mm-hmm. 
And so it kind of depends on where you centralize our sound. This is our eighth full-length record, and so it, whatever you think of as like the core sound, you know, that could be localized in a lot of different places, whether that's some of the more folk-sounding music that we've made or the more um, kind of chamber music we've made or stuff that falls more into like in indie or popular music. There's a lot, and I, I feel like this one, in some ways, really has a little bit of all of those territories in, in this album. Given the timing of these last two albums, it's impossible to ignore the role of the pandemic. Yeah, I was dealing with like some mental health issues during the last few years. And like Mike said, I had my daughter, who's now two, uh, during the course of, of working on this album. And, you know, those are just like personal issues as like combined with everything that the world experienced, uh, I think, led to this magnified sense of tumult in the world and in some ways just turning to music as one of the core things in my life that could bring me comfort and understanding and connection uh, at a time when those things were a little bit harder to come by. In some ways, it really concentrated our time together because Mike and I getting together were some of the only in-person things that we were doing, like almost for a whole year of writing this music. Like we, you know, we, we were locked down and we were very like conscious of um, all of the regulations around COVID. So we got together a handful of times, five or six times during the pandemic. So it was some of the only times that we were doing anything with another person outside of our kind of family. So I'm sure that has found its way into the types of music that we were writing at that time. Like, I don't know if it was really being so happy to be together in person doing something, sad, all of those, all of everything that was going on at that time kind of like probably found its way into the music.
Balmeray has always been a group that occupied a liminal space in music. The new compositions they make are sure to be in styles that intentionally don't quite fit expectations. So I think some people don't really want that. They want their jazz to feel like jazz and they want their classical to feel like classical and they want their folk music to stay folky and that's great. And we love a lot of that kind of music, but that's just not the kind of things that we're interested in, in creating, I guess. After a long COVID break, Balmeray is finally getting back out, playing live shows. Their latest album is Pendant World on the Deutsche Grammophon label. I will have a link to Balmeray's Pendant World in the posting for this podcast at echoes.org. I'll also have a playlist of all the music you heard in the feature. It's all at echoes.org. On the Tuesday Echoes podcast, we're going to have John McLaughlin, the guitar icon who is currently touring with the latest edition of Shock T. I'm John DiLiberto. Don't forget to donate to Echoes now. Make a meaningful contribution to something that I hope and try to make meaningful in your life. Go to echoes.org and hit the support tab at the top. That's echoes, E-C-H-O-E-S dot org, O-R-G. So many people forget that second E. This has been the Echoes Podcast from PRX. See you next week, tonight on the radio, somewhere in the country, or at Echoes Online right now, or whenever you want.